0: All right, you guys ready? Yeah. So for the next five, uh, it started out as three. It looks like it's going to go four or five weeks. We are going to talk about spiritual warfare. Now, see, if many of you are sitting there and you're like my wife, you go okay, so I'll take off next four or five weeks, or you go, I think I'll help out downstairs in the children's ministry. Because frankly, Peter, that topic, spiritual warfare, spooky and freaks me out a little bit. And then there's some of you that are going, I can't believe that we're talking about this. I, I didn't even know that you, church, even believed in it and then thought it was even a relevant topic. And then there's a vast majority of you in between. Three, four, five weeks, I want to encourage you guys to come, to invite your friends as we go on this most important sermon series that normally churches don't talk about. Um, In the late 1800s, doctors and scientists believed in something called spontaneous generation. And what spontaneous generation was, and I'm not a doctor, so for those of you that are physicians, please don't come up and go, you totally butcher that, dude, all right? I rely on Google and Wikipedia, okay? So, Spontaneous generation, the idea behind spontaneous generation was that living organisms could suddenly pop up from inanimate matter or non-living organisms. And up until that time, people sort of explained away way disease that way. They said, uh, disease just kind of pops up somewhere, even though it has nothing to do with anything that's alive. Living organisms could pop out of non-living inanimate matter and disease. Then a guy named Luis Pasteur came along. Who, oh, by the way, we coined the phrase pasteurization, according to Wikipedia. Um, and he said that, actually, no, there's something called, and he developed this thing called the germ, the germ theory of disease. And what he said was, in the 1800s, the germ theory of disease said, living organisms, this is going pop out of nowhere from inanimate matter, not living organisms, living organisms, microorganisms, and this was the key, microorganisms that are invisible to the human eye. Could actually travel through the air, land on food, land on people's skins. Instead of just popping up out of nowhere, disease germs actually reproduce from other living organisms. Pretty soon, the scientific community, the medical community, and other non-scientific, non-medical community, I uh, had a hard time sort of getting around this idea, and they said, "Look." Stuff that we can't even see. You're telling us stuff that we can't even see. It's just floating through the air, and it randomly sort of lands on food, and if you eat it, you get sick. It lands on people's skin, and it actually is transferred via touch, and, and it could potentially wipe out entire cities, to which Louis Pasteur said, absolutely. What was a theory in the 1800s is no longer a theory. That's why you and I carry one of these. Hand sanitizers, Yes? yes what was once a theory is no longer a theory because we actually believe that there are these things called germs living organisms that's invisible to the hum- now if you're sitting there going but dude you could totally look through a microscope just just hang in there a moment, okay we'll, we'll get to that what's invisible to the naked human eye could actually be transferred from person to person and create all kinds of habit. now you sit in there going what's possible in the physical realm you have no problem believing it but the rub comes when we see what the bible says and the bible says what's true in the physical realm actually is also true in the spiritual realm and there's an invisible world and check this out you guys that doesn't just affect you physically it affects you relationally it affects the way you do finances hello it affects your marriage anybody sitting here going marriage is hard yeah Anybody here going? Workplace is really, really hard. Anybody going? Raising children is really, really hard. Amen. Somebody says amen. You're a parent to a six-month-old man. Come on now. It's <laughs> I don't know who said that, but I'm just kidding. just kidding. What's possible? What's th- and we sit here and go. You're telling me that there's something that that, that impacts us tremendously. Invisible force, invisible things that we can't see. And then the rub comes when we listen to what the Bible says. Because the same Bible says, love one another. We love that. The same Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives love that. The same Bible says, children, obey your parents. Parents love that. The same Bible says that it is through faith and faith alone, not through Christ, that you are saved. We love that. The same Bible says that there is an invisible world of supernatural forces of evil that are work to wreak havoc in our world today. To which some of us go, well, I don't think so. See, that's the journey that we're going to be on for the next three, four, five weeks. Can I just ask? me just ask. How many of you guys are sitting here going, Dude, you don't have to convince me of this. I heard it. Honestly. See, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because, and we'll get to that in a moment, because those of you that didn't raise your hand, whether it's because you believe it, but you're like, anybody else raising their hand? Okay. Or, for those of you that really have a hard time, I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about today. But here's how I want to launch this. For those of us that have a hard time saying, you know, there's this invisible world that impacts our visible world every single day. And, and, and here's the thing. You don't need a microscope to see it. For some of us, you know what we need? All we need is a rear-view rear mirror. Because how many of us are sitting here this morning and we're going, you know, there was a time in my life where it's like I was in a fog. It's like I made decisions and made choices in my life that I didn't think was going to produce a habit that would become Addiction and have me bound for years. Anybody? Anybody? How many of you are sitting here going, you know, I made that decision critically months ago or years ago that is still reaping the consequences? Anybody? How many of us sitting here going, we're looking at the rearview mirror going, there was a time in my life when I said, did things that were totally contrary to what I absolutely believed. And if somebody had told me thereafter, did you mean to do that? We sat there and go, no! What happened? I don't know. It's like something overcame. Some of us, is not a rear-view mirror. All you need is a mirror because you're in it right now. Some of you are in a situation right now, you're going, everything that I'm doing right now is completely and utterly contrary to and goes against everything that I believe. And yet, I can't stop it. Some of us are on the other side where we're looking at other people who are making decisions, doing things, as if they're just utterly, utterly in confusion violating every principle that they believe about what is right or wrong. There is an invisible world, the Bible says. And how about this, you guys? We don't even look back. Let's look back historically as a culture. I was just watching a, a documentary on the History Channel about the Holocaust. And they were interviewing people, soldiers who were part of that. And it was amazing to hear some of the testimony. And they said this. They said, looking back now, the atrocities that were committed, I can't explain it. The evil and the injustice, the killing of millions of innocent. we Historically, culturally, personally, we look at our world today and go, is all there is, all that is able to see? The Bible doesn't have the problem of saying there's an invisible world That has a direct impact in our physical world. The Bible actually says that there are supernatural powers, principalities. There is a personal entity called Satan, the devil, and his demons who are at work to wreak havoc in our world, in your life, in my life. And this journey is going to be... uh, to me, one of the most critical sermon series, because even for those of us that raise our hands and go, "Yep, you don't have to convince me," we go, "What do we do about that? How do we live?" Bibles to uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. We're going to start uh, on verse ten, and I'm just going to read 10 through, uh, verses ten through eighteen. And today, I'm not going to answer every question. Obviously, if anything, if I do my job, you'll have more questions than when you came in. I want to lay broad. Uh, broad foundation and some broad strokes, paint some broad strokes so that you get some key principles or key things that we'll delve in and dig deeper in the upcoming weeks. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Bruce? Bruce, where are you? Bruce Robertson? Hello? Um, remember how you were saying you're going to make like a cup holder or a water holder for the pulpit? Will you do that for me? That's how I'm using this, okay? Thank you. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Those of you that are King James Version, it says the devil's wiles. Devil is a wily creature. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Chapter 1 in Ephesians. Paul basically says that the world is in disarray world is falling apart. And God has begun this process of restoring and renewing the entire world. Chapters 2 and 3 of Ephesians, Paul says, this is how that kingdom power that restores and renews all things comes into our lives as we place our faith in Jesus Christ and his work of redemption on the cross and in his resurrection. Then chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, Paul says, if then that is true, then this is how you ought to live. This is how you ought to conduct your Christian lives. And he gives very practical principles of how to do that. But interestingly, as he comes down to chapter 6, he doesn't say, now this is how you live. Sincerely, your friend, Paul. He says, finally. And essentially what Paul is saying is this. until until you understand the context in which you're building your Christian life, until you understand the context in which you are trying to live out chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, you are going to get defeated. It's like somebody telling you to go and build a fort in a certain place. And as you go (laughs) building a fort, the guy tells you, and oh, by the way, as you're building the fort, you're going to be in enemy territory, and people are going to shoot you. Important safety tip, thank you so as you're building the fort with that advice and admission you're building the fort differently knowing that there is somebody who's going to do everything possible to make sure that you don't build that fort and literally what paul is saying is this marriage here's a beautiful thing about a husband and wives i don't work together we read that and go that's so beautiful and then he says your marriage is under attack by somebody who is wanting to destroy that thing. And until you understand the context in which that is the case, you have no chance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Paul says that as you go now to build your Christian life, as you work towards it in the home, in your workplaces, in your personal relationship with the Lord, you are the target of powers and principalities. Who is out to destroy you and what you're about to build? Understand the context and the climate in which you're working. God has created you and I for the best. And God has created you and I to glorify him and honor him all that he do. And enemy, Satan, is at work at every single second moment of our lives to make sure that he gyps and robs us out of the best that God has for us. And to make your life and my life in living it for Jesus, utterly difficult finally and then what does paul say be strong in the lord and in his mighty power and we'll come back to in a moment put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood here's the big major principle that we're going to hammer out over and over again first real christianity is a fight say this with me ready real christianity is a fight. That word struggle, I love that word. Do you know what it depicts? Imagine Roman soldiers who are in, 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 in battle and fighting. And, and this is the point where the where the sword is gone, the shield is gone, the helmet has come off, and they're literally with bare hands on the ground. We're talking about hand-to-hand combat on the ground for one another's life. This isn't This is sword is gone, shield is gone, helmet is gone, and if I don't kill you, you kill me for our struggle. Here's an incredibly important principle you need to know. Do you know that you could tell genuine Christian from the warfare and conflict in his life as much as peace? Do you know that the Bible says that you could tell a genuine Christian life, a genuine Christian from the amount of warfare and conflict in his life as much as peace. Now, in America, we don't like that. I can't tell you the number of times I talk to Christians, and the arbiter, the barometer, the ultimate thing of whether something is God's will, whether then God's will is, that to say, oh, I feel peace about it. I feel peace about it. Have you ever heard that? Where do we get that from? I know. You go, well, the Bible talks about peace, so Philippians chapter 4. And the peace of God will so on and so forth. Romans chapter 5, when, you, when we have been reconciled to God, we're no longer enemies to God, we experience peace in our relationship with God, and we have peace about the future. But the very same Bible says, listen, a genuine Christian is someone who's experiencing warfare, conflict in his life. Why? When you ally yourself and align yourself with a king, a country, you automatically become enemies with the very same king or country that that person is allied with. Do you realize that? And do you realize that when you became a Christian, it wasn't Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord, for being my Savior and Lord, and I get to go to heaven. When you became a Christian, listen, you switched allegiances. You switched priorities. You switched values. You switched loyalties to the king of kings. And in the very same moment, you became the target and the enemy of satan and his demons who have been allied against god from the very beginning of time listen to the way that the bible describes salvation <laughs> colossians chapter 3 what for christ has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption from forgiveness of sins do you realize what the bible says You have been rescued from rule and reign and dominion of Satan and the evil principalities into the kingdom of light. Do you think when that happened, Satan just rolled over and said, Oh, well. Let me show you another passage. Luke chapter 11. When a strong man, he's talking about Satan, Jesus is, fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger, Jesus, attacks and overpowers him. He takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. This is what happened when you became a Christian. You switched allegiances, loyalties, lordship, kingship, priorities, and when that happened, Satan didn't roll over and go, oh well, C.S. Lewis said that there's not a square inch of the universe that's not claimed by God or counterclaimed by Satan. You, my friend, are not standing on neutral ground. Okay. couple illustrations. If, uh, when you're alive and you're alert to the danger around you, the only reaction is a violent one. Do you know what I mean? If you're in a burning house and the house is burning down and your response is, oh, it's getting warm in here. You're not alert to the situation. You're not awake to the situation. If the house is burning down, your life is in danger. There's a violent response, running, scrambling, screaming, yelling, kicking, get me out of here. One other illustration. We dedicated babies today. I've been at the birth of three of my children. Have you ever been, have you ever been in a place where someone's giving birth? I thought I was going to pass out the first time, man. Do you know how chaotic the scene is? When it's time for the baby to be born, it's everybody's pros, all the nurses. Well, baby, I I was the only one that was, you know, elderly, like, lost it almost. But when the baby is being born, everybody's in their accent, that wife is pushing, I'm going, Jenny, it's okay, she's going, shut up. It's not supporting, pray for me, so on and so forth. But interesting that when the baby is born and that that baby tries to take breath for the first time outside the mother's room, Listen, when a baby comes out and the baby is just like, people don't sit there and go, what a laid back baby. <laughs> Sweet temperament. The nurses take the baby and they spank, they shake, they do all kinds of things. Why? The baby who is alive, trying to take the first breath. is ah! And we go, that's normal that's natural do you know that the sign that you're spiritually alive the sign that you're spiritually alive there's a sense of a violent reaction alertness spiritual exertion to what's going on let me show you another passage that jesus talked about i'm just laying the groundwork laying the groundwork Matthew 11, and from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault and violent men seize it that the kingdom by force has a precious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought, listen, with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. Christian life, ardent zeal and intense exertion. Is that you? Do you know what sin is? Sin is a narcotic. Sin lulls you to sleep. Sin says, There's always tomorrow. Won't need to be so extreme. Moderation in all things. Are you awake? Are you alert, Christian? Are you awake? Can I bring it down, really down to home where it convicts me? Do you remember when you first became a Christian? Do you remember how much that sin, that habit bothered you? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? No, I'd say yes, yes. Do you remember that? Do you remember the fight that was there? Do you remember the fight? You got up and going, like, oh, that bothers me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like that. I'm a child of God. I'm a born again follower of Jesus for crying out loud. And the exertion and the intensity. Let me ask you something. How are you doing with that now? I used to bother me, but you know, I mean. Do you remember spiritual disciplines? Oh, good Lord. When I first became a Christian, I grew up in the Korean church. In Korean church, we were falsely led to believe that if you're a good Christian, you got up at 5 in the morning and prayed every day. Because, you know, Jesus got up early in the morning. That is a butchering of the gospels. I just want to say that is not. That's, Korean people take it literally. I was a good Korean Christian. So in college, here's what I did: five in the morning, I made other people do it too. My college five in the morning, we got up and prayed. I hated it, but you know, I remember fondly. I remember feeling alive because of the fight to say I'm a Christian. How are you doing how am i doing can i show you one other passage <laughs> it's been a while since i've spent time with you guys see when i talk to myself i talk back so can i show you another passage okay this passage listen king david do you remember king david king david listen second samuel 11 in the spring at the time where kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israel army. They destroyed the Ammonites. But David remained in Jerusalem. What is a warrior king during time of war when kings go to war doing a lounging around in his pajamas in his castle? What is a warrior king what is a warrior king who, in time of battle, when kings go off to war, doing? Oh, here's what he's doing. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to get her. Hey, hey, Chris, I'm sorry. Those of you that like, haven't, you're not used to like seeing me in six weeks. <laughs> it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. I don't mean to yell at you this morning. I need you to know the reality of what's going on. Are you lulled to sleep? Warriors and soldiers in this battle, are you lounging around in your pajamas? Christianity. Genuine, real Christianity is a fight. Real Christianity is a multi dimensional fight. Multi dimensional fight. You know what I love about Christianity? You can't reason yourself into Christianity, but once you become a Christian, it's full of reasons it's full of reasons. Paul never just says, just do it. He says, here's why you need to do it. And he says in verse 12, for. He gives an explanation for why. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is not just about, listen, our neighbor's. Our battle is not just about our spouses. It's not just about our coworkers. It's not just about the people out there. Our battle is more than what meets the eye. Do you understand that? Our battle is not just against flesh and blood. There's more to it than just addictions. There's more to it than just, oh, you know, this is just an area of sin that I struggle with. There's more to it than just, oh, you know, we're going through a really hard time. If all you see is what you see, if all you see is what you see, you're never going to see all that there is to be seen. Paul says it's not just about what meets the eye. It's not just about your personal problems, the social problems. Christians have given up the simplistic idea that problems are only flesh and human issues that have manageable roots. And the thing that bothers me as I head towards the elections is I see Christians going, Oh, if so-and-so got elected, world peace. Are you kidding me? How naive and simplistic can we be? Church, church. Our world says, here's how we fix things. Education. Here's how we fix things. Better families. Here's how we fix things. More programs. Here's how we fix things. And the list goes on and on. And they all have one thing in common. They all look at the world and go, flesh and blood. Human. Manageable roots. The Bible says you're naive. You're naive. You can't look at problems and go, there's merely human solutions. Because they're manageable Roots. If all you see is what you see, you'll never see all that there is to be seen. The Bible says Christianity isn't just a fight, it's a multi dimensional fight. Evil is not just one dimensional, it's multi dimensional. And until we recognize that our personal and corporate problems are more than just flesh and blood. It's more than just him. It's more than just about her. It's more than just about them. It's more than just about systems and institutions. It is that, but it is more than that. Paul says, we're going to be ill-equipped. There's supernatural evil as well as human evil. There's evil within you. What do you say? There's evil within you and me. Why am I so messed up? Because I'm selfish. Because I'm arrogant. Because I'm self-absorbed. There's evil outside of me. My parents sinned against me. My friends sinned against me. My girlfriend, boyfriend sinned against me. But if you stop there and go, there's evil in me, there's evil outside of me, you're going to be very bitter and hate yourself or hate the world. But the Bible says, oh, no, there's also evil above you. And supernatural powerful forces are at work to destroy what God is doing. And by the way, and I'm going to just brief, the Bible says there is a name and a face to this supernatural evil. His name is what? His name is the devil or Satan. Do you know how he fell? Do you know the passage in the Old Testament? Can I show you? Because I'm going to pick up on this next week. Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. Do you know that Satan was a beautiful creature? You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations. You set in your heart, pay attention, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Do you know what Satan's sin was? I will ascend. I will exalt myself. As a result, he descended and fell. Jesus Christ I will what? Descend. I will humble myself. As a result, he was exalted. The sin of Satan that's imprinted in our DNA is I want to be my own God. I want to be independent. Nobody tells me what to do. Leave the heck alone. Sin of Satan. We are children of that DNA. This is the reason why some of you, I'm sorry, you're you're, you're here for the first time, you're going, man, he's kind of mean, sounds angry. I'm not angry, I'm just passionate. For those of you that are here, uh, I'm telling you this, your greatest obstacle to become a Christian, it may be intellectual, but it is your unwillingness to not be your own God and control your own life. That is the sin that hinders all of us. I'm going to be my own God. Nobody tells me what to do, not even God. And then Jesus says this in Luke ten eighteen. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Those of you that are sitting here going, Satan, devil, blah, blah, blah. This is all just a bunch of nonsense. What are you talking about? Can I ask you something? Do you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you respect and appreciate what he said? Like love your enemy, so on and so forth. Well, then what do you do with the fact that Jesus said, you know, I I, I was actually there when Satan fell. How do you take that word seriously when he says love your enemies and say, but the other stuff about devil, Satan, that's nonsense. Where's the consistency? The same Jesus who said, love your neighbors, love one another, stuff that we like in America. Same Jesus said, he's real. I saw him and he fell. We're gonna talk more about Satan next week. <laughs> but the Bible says that he is real. Let me give you another example. First Peter chapter 5, and just one more passage because the Bible is full of allusions to Satan, the devil, and what he's what he is doing. But verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, here he is, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. By the way, I don't know how resist him. Got changed in some of our minds to ignore him. Does your Bible say ignore him? Then why do we act like that? Do you know what? One of the most astounding things I heard somebody say to me was, he said, well, oh, Pastor Peter, Satan leaves good Christians alone. No, no, no I, I'm serious. And there are some of us in here, and I include myself as one of these people. There are some of us who at one time believed this. We're like, if I live a good Christian life, Satan will leave me alone. My friend, you got it completely opposite. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You try and live your life for Jesus, he will not leave you alone. Warfare and battle. For those of you that are going, I don't believe you. Okay, when you go home today, do this. For the next month, I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to spend 15 to 20 minutes in scripture and in prayer. Talk back to me in a month and see what happens. Okay? I'm serious. Go home today and go, next month, this is what I'm gonna do. Come back in a month and let me know how it went. I could almost guarantee you, I know what it's gonna be like. Some of you sitting here, um, and I just wanna talk to you for a moment. And again, even if there's like three, four people who are still sitting here going, you know what? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I believe this, Peter. I, I just want to say, just give me a couple minutes, and then we need to move on. See, the reality is, we do have trouble with this in the West. Not it, not in other cultures, but we do. Supernatural, miraculous, Satan, angels, demons, so on and so forth. And for many of us in the West, we think that everything is a natural cause, and so everything is a scientific explanation: crime, violence, racism, wars—natural causes. Bad psychological factors, bad family, bad environment. Fix those things. We can fix everything. But can I, just, can I just talk to you for a moment? Um, because you're, I'm sure you're very bright and very smart. And you're sitting there and you're going, as soon as I said, I believe in Satan, demon, devil, you probably thought, you sound like an intelligent dude. You really believe that? All of us have an, ex- has an explanation, what I call worldview of how we explain things. And I'm sure, I'm sure, I don't want to belittle this. You have a natural explanation for how one race of people could eliminate millions of other race of people through via psychological environmental social factors but can i just when you look at stuff like ethnic cleansing what happened in rwanda what's happening now in darfur where people are cutting off children's hands and feet when you look at what happened in denver recently where a dude and listen this is the thing this is a great thing to me this isn't like he walked in on like Someone cheating on his wife or him, his wife cheating on and just lost it and decided this is he for days, weeks, and months just carefully planned. The whole time thinking this is a good idea. And oh, by the way, uh, he does the same thing in his apartment. He wires his apartment with bombs for weeks and months so that there's more destruction don't you sometimes look at that and go that's just pure evil don't you sometimes I'm talking to just two three of you that are like Satan don't you sometimes just go child pornography (laughs) I'm a parent of three kids and I have random thoughts of killing people when I think about things like child pornography and that's an industry And you're going to sit there and tell me that you have a scientific, rational explanation for why these things happen. The Bible says, there is supernatural evil and that are at work, yes, sometimes through human beings who fall. But you and I are naive. If we sit here today and go, Stuff like that. Maybe else, not. he. The Bible says that Satan's primary aim is deception. And if he can get you this morning going, that's a bunch of nonsense. He's going, Shh. I got them exactly where I want them. I want to talk more about this in the upcoming weeks as we think about who he is and what he is. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not unaware of his schemes. Meaning, we are not going to be unprepared for the battle because we know what he's about we know the way he works and the way he works and the way he goes about listen, if you're sitting here you're going demon Satan and you think of a dude with a pitchfork and a red jumpsuit, he's going I got him exactly where I want him If you sit here and you caricature Satan demons going, pitchfork with a tail and a red jumpsuit. Satan's going, they are exactly where I want them to be. But we are not, Paul says, unaware of his schemes. The way he comes, he says, it'd be good to sleep with him. Sure. Sure. God created sex. It's wonderful. You'll feel great. Satan doesn't come and go, yeah, sleep with him. And on November 3rd, you're going to break up with him or he's going to break up with you. And he's going to shatter your heart. So go ahead. He says, oh, that seems beautiful. He takes good things that God has created twists it, and says, go ahead. See, I'm going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks. Do you know what Satan does? He is so. He goes. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're a Christian. God will forgive you. As soon as you do it, he says what? God will never forgive that. He says, Go ahead. Or you could stop any time. It's just everybody's doing it. As soon as you get in, he turns around and goes, You'll never get out. Not pitchfork. Red red jumpsuit. Whoa. Lies. Can I do one more? Can I do one more? Can I do one more? His lies and deception, he comes and goes, he comes and says this. He goes, uh, good Christians don't struggle with that. Good Christians. You, you must be a terrible Christian if you struggle. Are you even a Christ? And you look back and you go, what what? You know what we do? We're like, do, 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 do. I must not be a good do, do. That's what we do. It gets me so mad. Because I do the same thing. He says, get in, I get in. And then he goes, You'll never get out. I go, You're right, I'll never get out. Instead of going, You're a liar, you're a murderer, get the heck away from me. We go, he's right. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know. See, we all dare. Lastly, (laughs) I am with this. The fight is the Lord's, but the battling is ours. Do you want to hear some good news? Okay, do you want to hear some bad news? Because this isn't there's good news and bad news. There's only good news. Good news. You ready? Good news? Satan is a defeated foe. Now, for some of us, they're like, nah, Satan is a defeated foe. It is ridiculous that Christians are afraid of Satan. It should be the other way around. Satan is terrified of Christians. Do you know why? Do you know what happened on this? When Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, when Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, he defeated Satan, sin, and evil once and for all. He doesn't have power and authority over you. If he could get you to believe that he does... Then he does. But he doesn't. You want another good news? We don't fight for victory. Like, I got to win. I got to win. We fight from victory. Victory has been won. Victory has been achieved. It's done. It's done. We're going, well, we need more. We need more things. Ephesians 1. We have every spiritual blessing. Spirit of God lives inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. God has given everything we need to live a life of godliness, and we sit there and go, "I need more." He's a defeated foe. So if you're sitting here for the last thirty minutes going, "He's scaring me. Why is he?" I want you to know, the attitude we have toward Satan is, "Dude, I, I don't." By the way, in an age in which everybody goes, "God could be a woman, a it, a she, and a he," you notice. Nobody says it about the devil. No, the devil is always a he. Thank you very much. I don't know what that's about. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Ladies, why is that? I don't get it. We got to be fair. If you want to see God as a she and an it, devil, no, no, no. Devil's a he. Devil's a he. That's, that's the way it works. Here's the balance though. You ready? Let me put it the last principle. The fight is the Lord's, but the battling is ours. What do I mean? What do I mean? The Bible says the victory that Christ has won and the resources that Christ has given us, you and I, here's the operative word, need to appropriate it. Knowing that Satan is defeated, and there will come a day when he's gonna be bound in eternity. The Bible says, in the lake of fire forever. And the way that the Christian life is is not God goes, I've given you everything. And oh, by the way, let me do it for you. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling I can do all things through him who strengthens me and on and on and on the fight is the Lord's but the battling is ours you say why does God do that let me end with an imagery metaphor analogy we will be done you're part of a squadron and you're fighting the enemy and the general comes to you and says alright troops here's what we're going to do enemies over there here's what we're going to do On my command, when I say, charge, I need you all to get up and charge. When you do, when you do charge, there is going to come superior, unchallenged, unlimited air power. Over you, around you, beside you, behind you. All right? Got it? Go. To which most of us go. (laughs) I have a better idea. How about? You take that superior air power and go before me. Do you think, "I don't see somebody jumping around, waving white flags, then we'll get up?" And, and the general goes, "No, no, no, that's not how it works. If you don't charge, they will not come out. We need you to charge, and as you do, as you do, remember, fill your mind with, revel in, cherish, dwell on. The magnificence of what is available in you and for you. But it will not come unless you charge. Do You know what Bible Bible's saying? You experience the power of God as you step out. Did you hear what I said? Does it make any sense to go, God, prove to me that you're trustworthy. <laughs> then I'll trust you. That's what we do. But how do you experience his trustworthiness if you do not trust him? Many of us sitting here this morning, and our Christian lives, I'll just be frank, my Christian life, your Christian life, it's frankly lame. It's weak. Why? Comfort, security, convenience, aversion to risk is what describes all of us. And we are like that soldier in a fort. And the general has come and said, you want to experience the power, this incredible power that is available for you. Yes, God. Then charge and step out in faith. We go, no, no, no. You do your thing. Then I'll charge. It's scary trusting you. I know. It's scary putting my faith in you. I know. It's scary going out on a ledge, God, and giving my all. Oh, I know. But, child, unless you step out in faith, you will never experience my faithfulness. When's the last time you experienced God's faithfulness? Why? When's the last time you stepped out in faith to something that you knew you had no business doing? When is the last time American U.S. Christians who are addicted to comfort, security, aversion to risk? When is the last time you and I at the command of a general who has defeated all things and said step out in faith and watch my power and faithfulness come through? When is the last time you did that? Are you sitting here today going, "Show me you're faithful, then I'll place my faith in you"? God says it doesn't work that way. Show me you're trustworthy, then I'll trust you. It does because you know why. If you do that, it is He's being strong in His might and power, and not be strong in His might. How are you doing? How am I doing? How are we doing as a church? Do you know why God does that? <laughs> we had moms here today, carrying their babies. All the moms and dads too. They're sitting there going, "At some point, I want to put this child down." Moms, Amen. And so, I want to put this child down. Why? You don't see moms carrying a 16 year old. That's just weird. So the mom carries a child, and there comes a time eight months, nine months, ten months in the case of our daughter, almost two, you know, where she says, I think I want to walk now. So we put the child down. What does the child do? I'll tell you exactly what the child does because you've been there with God, and I've been there with God. (sighs) The child's going, Where's mom? Where's dad? Somebody, somebody. I feel all alone. Somebody, care, care. That's how you feel right now. You sit there, you're going, Where, God, where are you? God, where, will somebody, will somebody make sure and catch when? I, if. God says, Eventually, you gotta walk. I'm here. Always step out in faith. Okay, let me end with this practically as we spiritual warfare. You know what this means for some of you? This means some of you are saying, that means, Peter, today I go get the less paying job and not the one that pays more money because I know that's what God's been letting me to do. For some of you, this means all you wanted to do so far was get the heck out of Chicago and nothing to do with God, and it means you staying. For some of you, it means breaking up with him or her, and you're going, God, this might be the only, there goes the chain, I don't know. And it's saying, I trust you. You're faithful. Some of you, it means this. You've been sitting there going, Peter, I've been so burned out in ministry, burned out in other churches. I don't want to get involved because I don't want to be hurt. Step out. Time to step out. Time to step out. What does it mean for you this morning? Child of God for crying out loud to know that the person that did that for you and me and rose from the dead is saying i am with you i am for you aren't you ready god we come this morning and lord this is going to be an intense journey an intense journey um And for many of us, Lord, uh, I include myself, God, the beginning journey is just being alert and awake to the realities of the warfare that is engaged all around us. Lord, I fear that there are some of us, and I include myself, God, who is been living oblivious to this reality oblivious to this battle oblivious lord to what's going on and god we have so embraced security and comfort and life of ease we have so embraced any aversion to risk we have so embraced a cocoon Mentality. We are that soldier. We are King David, God, lounging around in our pajamas while there is a war, a battle for the very souls of men and women being waged in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. God, alert us, awaken us. The enemy is a liar, he is a deceiver. He is a murderer. He is out to kill and destroy and hinder the work that you want to do. God, I pray that as we leave this place here, you would show me, you would show us what it means to step out in faith, to encounter and experience the power of God real Christianity is a fight real Christianity is a multidimensional fight the fight is the Lord's but the battle is ours As you leave this place today, not just only as individuals, but as a corporate body of Christ here in new community, go forth knowing that he who has conquered Satan, sin, and evil lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Be alert and awake for the enemy prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. You do not lack anything to wage this battle against a defeated foe. Be strong and courageous for our God is with you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, and all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday as we begin our journey. Thanks you guys.